time I have been invited to go north and preach at the induction of the Reverend James Ross uh, to the Edinburgh Congregation of Buccleuch and Greyfriars uh, Free Church. And I don't mind telling you that as soon as I received that invite, do you know what happened? I panicked. <laughs> Absolute panicked. And maybe you can see why if you think about it from my point of view. As soon as that email came in, I thought, oh no, what am I going to preach on? You know, you can see, you. It's, uh, it's not the ordinary diet of worship. It's not uh, the, the usual Sunday service that I'm used to. This is an induction of a minister to another church. Whoa, I panicked. Uh, what am I going to preach on? What would be a suitable text for such an occasion? Well, in actual fact, you maybe see it. These verses tonight. Wouldn't they make a suitable text? for an occasion such as an induction. Maybe you see why. Look at this. Like here in First Timothy chapter 4, Paul, what is he doing? He is encouraging a pastor in his work of a church. Isn't that what he's doing? At this point here, he is encouraging Timothy in his work of serving a local congregation. And maybe you see that Paul does this here in two ways. What he does first of all, I think, is calls for Timothy to teach the congregation that the primary work of a minister of the word is to do what? It's to minister the word. But then he does something else. There's a second thing which is maybe a little bit more surprising. Do you see that Paul also encourages Timothy to pursue his own personal godliness? Is that slightly surprising to us? He tells Timothy, not just to teach other people, don't just teach other people, but to strive for a greater personal love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this evening together, it's actually that second element that I want you and I to consider uh, to get. Because, get this. See here. When Paul says in verse 6, he calls for Timothy to be a good minister of Christ Jesus. You see that word that he uses there for minister? It is not the expected, not the technical term. He uses a very general term here. A general term for all servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what that means? Here, when he says, what is it? Train yourself to be godly? That is not just the apostle speaking to Timothy. Nor is that the apostle just speaking to pastors and ministers. This call, train yourself to be godly, that is a call from Paul, from the Holy Spirit, to every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, friends, tonight let's look at this call. Let's look at First Timothy chapter 4 and let's consider a different kind of training. Now, friends, let me pray just before we look in detail at these verses. Lord in heaven, how we bow to you this evening. We do so, each of us here, calling to you for help and assistance. Lord, we are weak and we need greatly the work of the Holy Spirit this evening. Would you please help us to hear what it is that you have to say to us at this point in our lives through your word? 
Lord, be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a few things to notice about these verses. First of all, let's think about the type of training. The type of training. Tell you what, let me begin smack bang in the middle of this section. And then we'll kind of work out the way. So uh, people often like a text on which to hang their hats. If we were going to have that this evening, it would be the second half of verse 7 here where Paul says, train yourself to be godly. Now, the word that Paul uses there for training, it is the Greek word from which we get the English terms gymnasium. Uh, the English term gymnastics. So immediately you begin to see what Paul has in mind. You see what Paul's doing here, do you? Like he is equating this sort of spiritual exercise and spiritual training. He's equating that with that sort of first century obsession that people had with sporting events, right? And uh, sporting uh, uh, activities. Now you might have seen this past week that the countdown to Rio has begun to do notice that we've been told that it's less fewer than a hundred days until the uh, i'm sure our brazilian friends uh, i'm sure they noticed that less than a hundred days until uh, the olympics in rio kicks off now do this with me imagine you knew personally somebody who is going to be competing in an athletics event in the rio olympics can you imagine what they are uh, life would be like between now and that point. In some ways, I'm, I'm reckoning it would be utter misery, wouldn't it? It would have to be a life utterly sort of devoted, dedicated. They'd have to be single-minded to that cause. They're not going to be very good in the Olympics if they, the sort of person that's supposed to be training but notices that you know, EastEnders is on so kind of gets a little bit sidetracked by that, are they? They're going to be hopeless. Now, come on. That's what Paul is talking about here, is it not? Isn't that what he's got in mind? Now, look at and consider the whole of verse 7 with me. Would you look at this now? Think about the flow here. He says what? Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, nothing to do with that. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying to Christian ministers... But I think he's saying also to us tonight, if we are going to be elite spiritual athletes, like if we're really going to build ourselves up in grace, then we cannot be sidetracked by anything. We can't, we can't be distracted at all. We can't give ourselves in any way to what are these things? Religious superstition. We can't give ourselves any time to sort of quasi-spiritual ideas. No, we have to be dedicated there has to be a single-mindedness in the Christian's pursuit of Christ. Now, I've got a neighbor up in Woodford by the name of Steve. And Steve has just completed, well, not just completed, last week he completed the London Marathon, which I'm sure you will agree is quite a feat. Um, but what struck me about the whole thing was the preparation that was involved for this guy. So there's me uh, sitting in the warmth of my study in Woodford first thing in the morning. And what do I see? I see Steve, <laughs> poor Steve, going out in the cold and the rain trying to run and get some exercise. And it's not like this guy uh, is a rich man. It's not like Steve can 
afford a personal trainer to come in and sort of shake him and get him out of his bed or run alongside him. I'm sure you would agree. It takes an incredible amount of self-discipline to train for these sorts of things, doesn't it? Now again, is that not what the Apostle Paul is saying to us tonight? Because I would ask you to do this. Consider the actual wording, the way he phrases this text at the second half of verse 7. Now, can I read it again to you? Now, think about the wording. I have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, what's the word? Train yourself to be godly. Do you see it? Like, what, what does the apostle not say to us? He doesn't say to Timothy, okay, uh, allow yourself to be trained well. He doesn't say, you know, get together with a few people and, and be trained well. What does he say? He says, train yourself to be godly. And I know, of course I know that primarily he's speaking to ministers. But isn't this important to all of us? Because friend, tonight do you see the danger facing all Christians? There is the temptation that we look to someone else to do our spiritual work for us. Isn't there? Is that true in your life? Are you looking to somebody else to do your spiritual training for us? Think back to when we were kids. We were brought up in a Christian home. Did we not rely upon our parents to do our Bible reading and our praying for us? We did, did we not? Often. But have we really grown up Is it not the case for some of us that we still rely a bit too much on our our spouse for these things? Do we not often rely on another Christian? Do we perhaps rely on an elder or a minister to do some of these things? And what does God say to us here? No. Train yourself to be godly. Do you see? You and I have a great personal responsibility here to engage in this pursuit of Christ. So we see, don't we, the type of training that the apostle has in view. A second thing that I want us to consider is the method of training. So we see the type of training. It is single-minded. It is self-disciplined. But let's consider the method of training. What is the obvious thing that I have not mentioned so far? The obvious thing. It's the object of this training. Training for, as Christians. What does Paul say? We're training for godliness. Godliness. So you see what Paul's saying. He, he wants us to be pursuing godliness. We are supposed to be looking in all things to have Christ increasingly at the center. The center of all areas of our lives. Now, how do we do that? Okay, we've got minded. We've got to be self-disciplined. But at what? Well, I think when we return to Paul's initial idea, this idea that Timothy is to teach the congregation in Ephesus, I think Paul grants us insight into what it is that we are supposed to be doing in this training. So I'd ask you all, if you would, please, to look at verse 6 with me. Now, remember what we're asking here. What are we supposed to be training in? Verse 6. If you, Timothy, point these things out to the brother, so if you, Timothy, teach these things, then be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Now, what is it 
Next bit. What is it that we're supposed to be? Maybe you've got the ESV there in front of you. It'll say, you'll be a minister of, a, a good minister of Christ Jesus, trained in or brought up in the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you've followed. Now, you can see, I'm, I'm sure, that there's two things there. There are the, 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 the truths of the faith and then there are the good teachings that you have followed. So what do we need to think about? Well, the word there for being brought up in the truths of the faith is actually the same word as a child, as little Leah, maybe at the back, uh, as a child being nourished. And I think surely you would agree that that is very appropriate for what we know about Timothy. Because if you know your Bibles well, how was it that Timothy was brought up? Who brought him up in his early years? Do you remember? It was a godly mother, and it was a godly grandmother. And how did they bring Timothy up? They brought him up in the essentials, the fundamentals of the gospel, and the fundamentals of the faith. Do you see the lesson? Friends, do we want to mature in faith? Do we want to become elite spiritual athletes? Where do we start? How do we begin this training we return often to the first things. And I would encourage you to do that this evening, to do that this coming week, to return to the the character of God, to return to consider and read about the very nature of sin and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is essential. But then there was the second step as well, train yourselves in the truths of the faith and in the good teaching that you've followed. Do you see what it is that Paul's talking about there, the good teaching that Timothy's followed? I was looking earlier on, before I, I, I came out tonight, at my preaching schedule and, and what we have covered uh, over the last couple of years at London City Presbyterian Church and, and uh, when these things took place, because I'm hopeless at keeping a, a record of these things. And it perhaps surprised me that it was actually over a year ago eh, that we as a congregation together were in the heart of the book of Acts. Over a year ago, since we were in Acts chapter 16, and I had intended to ask you, do you remember what we said when we looked at that? But then, you know, you would be doing well if it was over a year ago. Do you remember Acts 16? Paul comes into Derby and Lystra on one of his missionary journeys. And who does he meet for the very first time? Who does he see? This young man, Timothy, doesn't he? And what does he do? Do you remember? He appoints this young man. He sees something in him. And he appoints him as his intern, if you like, or an apprentice. Now, this is the crucial thing. What does that involve? Paul teaches this man. I mean, Paul really and truly instructs Timothy. Paul builds on these foundational truths that Timothy has learned from his mother and from his grandmother. Do you see it? If we want to train, if we want to be built up in grace, what do we do? Yes, the basics are important, but look at us. I mean, surely we should be advancing beyond these basics, should we not? Should we not now be looking into the great doctrines of Scripture and reading and studying and wrestling with these things? Should we not be looking at the the great principles of the Word of God? So I ask you this evening, do you want 
this. Do you want to be obedient to this call from God to train? Do you? I'll ask you this. This evening, right now, would you even picture a gym in full flow? And would you see here tonight the weights that you and I are called to lift? Do you see what it is? We are called to pick up daily the Word and study it. And what are the exercises that you and I are called to do by God? We are called to fall to our knees daily. In doing those reps in prayer, day in, day out, day in, day out. Now, now, none of that is a guarantee of great spiritual health. Because what do we know? It is our heart that matters before God, is it not? But if it is godliness that we are called to pursue, then surely returning often to God's Word is the best way to train. We see the method here of training that we are called to do. Third thing, let's consider the value of training, the value of training. I hope you would agree that one of the main things that comes out of this portion of Scripture this evening is the sheer graft of sanctification. If you came in here tonight thinking that your spiritual maturity comes without effort, I hope and I pray that you leave this evening with an entirely different view. Like, I hope tonight you you leave understanding that We are saved in the Lord Jesus Christ, but the life that we are called to is a life that involves work and and effort and time and dedication to our faith and to our Savior. And so maybe because of that, you say tonight, is it really worth it? All of this, reading the Bible and worship and prayer and single-mindedness in Christ, is it actually worth it? Well, Paul answers that here. In verse 8, he does so by, by, by drawing a, a parallel between the value of this sort of training and the value of physical exercise. And I wonder, do you see tonight just how absolutely relevant Paul's words are here to our world in the 21st century? Because <laughs> think about London. Think about what has happened in London over the last 10 to 15 years. Like in this city, what's happened is there's been this uh, tremendous technological revolution. Hasn't there in our society? There's been this technological transformation in society where now we, through our laptops and our iPads, but also through our phones, we've got access to video don't we? We've got access now. It's amazing. Access to cameras. The problem with that is what we have done with this newfound capability, isn't it? Have we used this newfound technological genius that we have? Have we used it as a society for the glory of God? What have we done? Cameras and videos. We've turned everything around to ourselves. And for our own glory, have we not? 
So our world, our technological world, is a world of vlogs, isn't it? A world of blogs and a world of selfies. And I wonder, tonight, do you see the knock-on effect of this self-promotion? Do you see what has happened? There has been, in the last number of years, this sort of violent explosion of pressure on our young people to look good. We're going to be on camera all the time. We're going to have to look good. And there is this pressure on young people to 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 be ripped and to be fit and to be toned and to be bulked up, muscle-bound, men, women, and be complete with six-packs. Isn't that the pressure on the young people? I, I read a statistic this past week that I could hardly believe and I had to return to it again. And it said that there has been a 44% increase in gym membership in the United Kingdom in the last year alone. Now, I hope you see, of course, that this sort of obsession with physique and personal appearance is incompatible with the Christian worldview, do you? But what about physical exercise itself? So anything wrong with this, per se? Well, that's not what Paul says. Look at this. Would you look at what Paul does say, though, in verse 8? He says that physical exercise only has some value. Isn't that stark? It only has some worth. He's saying that, okay, this is fine to engage in physical exercise, but the benefits of this will pass away. But what does he say about spiritual training? Look at it. But godliness, it has value for all things. And I would ask you this evening just to think about that for a moment. That this sort of training, training in the Word, bowing before God in prayer, it is value for all things. All things. Now, think about what we are like. We divide our lives, don't we? We have our Sunday persona and what we are like in church. We divide that. We split it from what we are like in the workplace. We split these things up. Do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying this sort of word-based study, it's not just valuable for Sunday. It's not just valuable for, for what you're like in here. It is valuable all things throughout the week. And not just that. Don't you praise Jesus for how Paul ends verse 8? He says this sort of training even holds promise for the life to come. So that's our, that's our question answered there. Is this worth it? Is it this training before God, is it worth it? You can bet your life it's worth it. Because not only is Christ honored through this in our lives to come, but this sort of spiritual training, it holds reward even for the new age and the age to come. And then we'll end with a fourth thing here, the goal of training. The goal of training. Last thing. Now, uh, we know, I'm sure, that any sort of physical training that's worth its salt, it usually sets a target for people, doesn't it? Even if you think of the weight loss programs on our TV where people go off, contestants go off to a camp somewhere, and uh, they're trying to lose weight. What do they do? 
they set a target to motivate, a target weight loss to motivate the people through it. Now, I think Paul does something similar here. Because in verse 10, if you, if you see it, he shows the Christian the goal, the target, the end point of our spiritual training. What does he say? He says, and for this we strive. What is it? What's the goal? That we have set our hope, we have put our hope in the living God. Isn't that something? Like, why does Timothy, why should you and I engage in this sort of uh, spiritual exercise and endeavor? Why? What's our motivation? God is our motivation. He is our goal with all of this. That his glory and bringing his good news to the nations of the world, that is what should inspire us in our work of sanctification. But I just want to close with a necessary clarification, and I think I need to, do I not? Because perhaps there is raised in your mind this evening a question by the last phrase that we are looking at here. Would you see it in verse 10? Has it raised a question for you tonight? Paul calls God the Savior of all men, and especially those who believe. Does that sound odd to your ear tonight? That God is the Savior of all men. We know what it doesn't mean, don't we? Paul was... No universalist. We know that this does not mean that on the last day, when our Christ shall return to shouts of acclamation and the final thickening of things, we know that this does not mean that all people will be saved, don't we? You see, this word here, the word especially, actually has the the force of the phrase, or more precisely. So do you see how this reads? That God is the Savior of all kinds of men, or more precisely. He is the Savior of those who believe. And I'll, I'll end, finish with the most important question of all. Does that include you? What Paul says here when he speaks of of those who believe, does that include you this evening? How do you view God? Is he just the creator God? Is that it? Is he just the life-giving God or the sustainer God? Is that it? Or tonight, do you praise him in your heart because he is your saviour God. I mean, do you do that? Do you rejoice in what it is that God has done for you? Sending a son to make the great exchange with you. What is that? That he, the Lord Christ, has taken your place. He's taken your punishment. And I ask you, what have you received from him? Hmm? You have received from Jesus the status of of godliness. Is that true of you? Is God your Savior God? If so, 
that I'm sure tonight, after we've cleared this place and turned the chairs around, you will go home. And even though it's a bank holiday tomorrow, you'll go to bed early. Why? Because for his glory, you've got a hard day of training ahead. Friends, would you take verse 7 home? Would you take it to heart? What does Paul say? He says, don't forget the other stuff. Do not be distracted. Rather, what? Rather, train yourself to be godly. Amen. Let's pray.